Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm Tony and Marcolini, and I'm joined today. And I'm I'm really excited, uh, but I'm joined today with one of my favorite authors, Tess Gerritsen. So, welcome, Tess. Oh, thank you for having me. Sounds like it'll be fun. Yeah, uh, well, I hope so. I I I was looking forward to this for a really long time. I, I've been uh, uh, I've been anxious to get the opportunity to talk to you. Now, I read your your latest novel. Um, and I want to definitely get into it, the Spy Coast, because it's it's fantastic. Uh, but I like when I do these podcasts to take people back a little bit uh, to the beginning uh, before I get to to get to now. So I understand that you are a medical doctor, mm-hmm. uh, general medicine, yeah, yeah, which is kind of amazing because uh, you, you you seem to be talented in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, first you got your medical degree, uh, then you started writing. And from what I've read in terms of a biography for you, you, you actually, I guess maybe when you were on a maternity leave uh, from practicing and started writing, which was a passion in your heart. Is that accurate? That's true. That writing was always my first love. Uh, and I got detoured from it because I had very practical Chinese American parents who said that was no way to make a living. Yeah, right. <laughs> so th- there comes a point in time, I guess, when you're when you know you're out on maternity leave, that it's 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 kind of in your ear, right? The, the, the passion is drawing you back, saying, "Remember me," and you start yeah. writing. So, do you remember putting together your first novel? I do. I mean, before that, I had I had sold a short story. Um, so my very first writing project was um, was a short story. I entered it into a contest and won five hundred dollars for it, which was like that was a big deal. Sure. <laughs> it it did tell me that after um, that I won first prize that maybe maybe I had something. Maybe it wasn't just a, a pipe dream. Um, and I remember writing my very first novel. It was a romantic suspense novel. I did it while my my older son was sleeping. I mean, he take, took great naps. And I I often tell him, uh, I owe my career to you sleeping so well. <laughs> I love that. So, so what happens next? You start trying to sell the novel, I guess, right? You try to find an agent. Right. And, and you know, I wrote first two um, novels that did not sell. So um, I actually think that's pretty, you know, that was pretty quick to have sold on the third one. Um, But it also taught me that persistence is what mattered. Um, I just, I just couldn't sell the first two and I was learning, you know, this is the thing you learn with every book you write. So it was the third novel that actually sold. I think that's an important message for, uh, you know, people who want to be writers Right. It's a craft that you have to hone over time. Uh, and the best way to get better at it is to keep doing it mm-hmm. and the tenacity you need to succeed. Right. It's one of those type of careers where I mean, I hate to say this. I'm I'm a lawyer by by trade as uh, you're a doctor by, you know, by trade, by education, certainly. Uh, and it's easier in a way, because you go to law school, you go to med school, you can come out and there you go. You are, right, you know, right. you, you get a job, you hang a shingle, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. you can practice, you can be that. But writing yeah. is not that simple, is it? I mean, you know, you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, there's a predictability to professions that have yes. 
that have education behind them. So as you said, uh, you know, when you're in medical school, as long as you pass all your courses and you and you pass your, you know, um, your uh, your licensing board, that you are going to be employed. Um, and you're just checking off boxes as you go through, right? You're just ticking, ticking off these boxes. Writing is so unpredictable. There's no guarantee of success. Um, you're going to be dealing with rejection all your life, and if not by publishers and also by readers. Um, you have to have a thick skin and you have you have to do it out of love, really. Um, if you don't love it, then you're you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of torture. Right, because hard work doesn't always translate to success, right? We can study, you know, in professions and accomplish goals, but but it's not always quite the same in some creative uh, endeavors like that. So I, I, when I see, see somebody successful, I always enjoy to get the opportunity to say, hey, look at this person because you know how they got it, not necessarily being better than anyone, but because they were willing to keep at it. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure there are some fantastically talented uh, writers who've written one really wonderful book that just didn't sell and they gave up and they right. just, just gave up. And th that really that's, that's the secret of a large part of the secret sauce is um, I guess I would call stubbornness. <laughs> you know, you, you just keep on trying or also it really has to do with the fact you love doing this and you would do it whether you got paid for it or not. Right. Cause the characters, they talk to you, right? <laughs> they sure do. <laughs> I've talked to many writers that, and I say, what's your creative process? Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I'll ask you the same thing. What is your creative process? I mean, do you get your ideas because, you know, you're just living life and you see something and it comes to you, you're like in the shower singing a song and it just pops in your head. What What's your process? You know, every book starts, I think, started off a little differently. Occasionally, I I, I talk about my idea farm, which is really a manila folder full of tear outs from from true crime and newspapers and things like that. So that's my idea farm. But I don't get everything from there. Sometimes it is that spark of a moment, something that happens to you at a particular point in your life. And you think, oh, my God, there's a book in here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I remember I can almost pinpoint the exact moment that each of my thriller novels was born. You know, that moment of, aha, this is a story. And um, and they all come from different different places. I mean, occasionally they will come from a newspaper article. Um, and the example I always use is I, I wrote this book called Vanish and I was reading the Boston Globe. And it was, um, it was a, a very short article about a woman who was found dead in the bathtub. Um, she was an accidental overdose. So they put her in a body bag, sent her to the morgue and she woke up in the body bag. And that was it. And she went home and she was fine. Um, but that's that moment where I thought, oh, my gosh, why is she in the body bag? What what is the real story behind her and what happens next? And that was the moment when that book was born. So um, little things like true crime or, or some kind of a, a weird story that you've heard or a conversation um, or a nightmare. I've had one book that was um, that was born out of a nightmare. So um, ideas are everywhere. It's the characters that you really long to hear. That's that's the hard part, I think. Now, I interviewed Matthew Dix, uh, a, a great novelist, and he tells me that the characters to him speak to him while he's behind the keyboard. 
Like he can't write ahead of time. Like he can't plan an outline. He doesn't know the end when he begins, yeah. right? He, he said, he, he he retells a story where his wife calls and and he, he picks up the phone and he's like, I, I gotta go. Like my, the main character is just about to find out. He's like, well, well what's he gonna do? What's gonna happen? And, and he goes, I don't know. I gotta get back to the screen. Like he literally, <laughs> as his fingers move, the characters told him what they were gonna do next. Uh, but I've also spoken to people who say, you know what? No, I need to map the whole thing out. I mean, how do you work? I'm more like Matthew. <laughs> I, I wish the characters, I could, they live with you. I wish I could map things out because it would be so much more efficient. You know, and I think that maybe that's why lawyers have have a, a, an edge as, as novelists is that they're used to get, having game plans. I mean, I suppose I imagine you go into court and you have a game plan. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, and I, I don't. Um, I do. I I can see a little bit ahead. I mean, I know the idea that's behind that's driving the story. I know the approximate direction it's going, um, but I I need to have a character talk to me, and it's not that they're telling me the story. It's telling me who they are, yeah. um, and you listen to the tenor of a voice. You can tell so much by somebody talking to you in real life. You know how old are they? What's their gender? What's their education status? All that comes through in the words they choose and and the sound of their voice. Yeah, I think that's amazing, though, because I do think the characters, they become real to your readers for certain. So why wouldn't they be sort of real traveling with you, right? I mean, it makes sense. They I mean, are. And, and you know, it's, um, sometimes they become irritating, too. <laughs> just, I mean, I had a character, it was well, he, he was a serial killer, and he became so real to me that I would, you know, my husband... And I would talk about him and we would watch a scary movie. And my husband would say, oh, Warren would have loved that movie. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that kind of a thing where he actually becomes like he's sitting on a sofa with you. Yeah, um, sure. And because he wouldn't go away, I had to write a second novel with him. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Now, <laughs> I have, you know, I have to touch upon Rizzoli and Ives mm -hmm. right? um, because this this becomes a blockbuster series for you. Uh, I think you're on what your thirteenth novel, maybe. Yes, I wrote thirteen then, novels in that. Yeah, thirteen novels for them, and so this this starts. I mean, most people will recognize that from the TV show, right? The TNT TV show with the characters become very very popular show, um, but I knew of them from the books. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's always interesting to me. You know, when somebody will say something, especially somebody younger than me will say something and I'll go, oh, you're reading that series, too. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, like, yeah, it's all uh, last night. You know, <laughs> I wish they had read the books. Um, <laughs> and, and if you since you've read them, you know that it never was meant to be a series that it, it evolved on its own because of the characters. And because right, so Jane doesn't have a, you know, really a, a big part. Uh, no, the very first book, she's a secondary character, and Maura yeah. is even in that story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird, right? Because it winds up becoming this series about these two women. But I do think the show, because later I I did tune in. I mean, the show takes a lot of liberties. I mean, yeah. from where you you know you are traveling with them in the books, right? Right. Um, I mean, and, and they they cater to, I guess, you know, the TV audience and there's a certain the dynamic that's necessary that's, you know, that not necessary for readers. Uh, but but those characters are still amazing characters. You, dra mm -hmm. you know, you drafted. I mean, and they're great. They're just smart, funny, 
they're people I'd want to hang out with, right? I yeah. mean, people you'd want to like hang out and like, yeah, did that really happen? Like, and have a conversation with them. <laughs> well, um, they, you know, they're modeled after women that I, I, I worked with so many brilliant women in medicine, you know, whether they were sure. nurses doctors. Um, I'm used to women uh, being very independent, very smart and, and very capable at their job. So it's, it's like, like, this is what I know. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting how that was considered somewhat revolutionary for television. I thought this is, this is the experience of working women everywhere. How is this in any way unusual? Um, but of course, Hollywood does things. They take their liberties, as you said. And uh, the first thing they did was of course, start the show as if they were in the midpoint of the series when these two women are already friends. Um, in the books, the friendships develops, they develop organically, it develops organically. Lower. organically. Lower. Yes, lower. Um, they're colleagues first. And then a little later, they they, be, they become really good friends. Um, and the other thing they did, of course, was they changed their appearance. Now they're gorgeous. And <laughs> it was a little irritating because I never, I didn't, I didn't see Jane Rizzoli as beautiful in any way. I saw her as being tough and independent and ordinary looking, which was part of her persona. And I love that persona yeah. because it's something that we can all identify with not being the goddess in the room. Yeah. But, but Hollywood's a little different that way, right? They, they, there's, there's a certain uh, formula uh, to success. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, I think attractiveness is one of them, is one of the components of that. It uh, is. As opposed to what should be, I find readers, I'm sort of an obsessive reader, right? We care more about the journey, the story, right? right? I love a good storyteller. You know, you're on the edge of your seat. You want to know where we're going, where we're going. Uh, and to me, storytelling takes all different forms. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I like to find my heroes in unlikely people uh, and just you know, a good solid story that represents possibilities that it could be, this could have happened. This could be, right. or that could be me. That could be right. me doing that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, but Hollywood's a little bit different when it comes to the screen or the television set. Uh, so I do yeah. think appearance is important. And it's, and, and it's funny because I, I love British television and it maybe it, it's partly because they choose to cast very ordinary looking people in a lot of their shows. Sure. Uh, yeah, and then you learn to love them as they look, and the way they are. And all of a sudden, somebody like, you know, Christopher Foyle and Foyle's War, who's, you know, he's an older man. By the end of it, you're in love with him, even though he's not, you know, he's not Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, beauty takes many forms, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion that it, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, maybe you are aesthetically not as pleasing as the next person, but uh, how easy is it to love somebody with a good sense of humor, a wit who just I, makes you smile, uh, who who is maybe cheerful or just sees the beauty in things? I think I, beauty can glow out of a person, and it's not necessarily connected to uh, to the aesthetics of it all. Um, so I do think you need to look beyond. So I, so I agree with that. But but talk to me about the moment that you get the call. I assume it was a call from an agent or something similar that says, you know, Hollywood is knocking and they want to buy the rights to the series. I mean, are you Tom Cruise? Are you sliding across the floor in your underwear? Like what's happening? Well, I got a call from from uh, the producer. Um, he and he, this was the conversation was uh, like this. He said, I love your girls and I think they belong on television. And and he you know, he he's a run wonderful humorous producer um and he had read i think he was like at body double at that point so he already saw them as as a duo but he said something interesting he said you know we have not had a female duo since cagney and lacy 30 years ago and that's what that's what he was looking for he thought this would be the time the moment 
Um, but he was very clear also. He said, look, I want this show to be focused on female friendship. These women are not going to get married because that's men are just going to be a distraction. So he wants he wants it on these two women. And um, he also had, you know, he had a good script already within a year. And once they cast Angie Harmon, and that was within a month or so, it was all done. It was a done deal. So yeah. it was, yeah, once they had the talent, that was it. So exciting, right? I mean, did, did you get to go to the set often or did they, did you consult at all? You know, did anyone want your opinion on the script? Yeah, you know, they they were very sweet. And um, the showrunner said, do you want to join us in the writer's room and help us break the stories? Well, I have I have novel deadlines, so I couldn't do that. Uh, but they did invite me. They all, they were always very welcoming when I would show up on the set. Um, I did go to watch the, um, the the pilot being shot because I just assumed this is it. It'll it'll never get beyond this. I mean, every step of that way, I kept thinking this is it. It's fun. It'll be all over with. Um, and even when he made the initial offer, I had worked. I had dealt with Hollywood enough to know that things always fall apart. So my philosophy is always, you know, cash the check, hope it clears and then forget about it because Hollywood will break your heart. It, well, so many things just fail. Uh, um, and so if, when things continue to go forward, it was um, it was a bit of a, a surprise to me that it actually got a, had a pilot made and then that it was picked up for series and then it went on for seven series. Everything was a surprise. Sure. And then this is the series finale. I think I read somewhere that you you made somewhat of a cameo in the finale. Is that accurate? <laughs> it was not the finale, but I think it was like maybe one or two from the finale. It was um, they had asked me if I wanted to be on the show and I and I had said, sure, you know, I'll be on the show. What part do I play? And they said, we want you to be yourself. And I didn't know what that meant until I saw the script and the script was it was one of these really meta meta kind of scripts where um, my characters go to a writer's conference and they meet the author Tess Gerritsen so that's I was just playing myself meeting my characters on screen <laughs> right that was that was pretty cool I would think <laughs> it, it was fun I mean I it's um it uh, you know reminded me that being on a tv set or a film set is a lot of grueling work uh, a lot of repetitive work a lot of standing around uh and Actors, they earn what they get. They really do. For sure. It's like I always say this creativity in that at that level, uh, it takes so much collaboration. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And there is a lot of work behind every you know, we watch a movie or we watch a TV show. We see this polished product. Right. Right. But then you have, you know, the, the hard writers who put it on paper uh, and then the actors who breathe life into these characters and memorize all these lines and try to bring the nuances that there are yeah. to these characters. And then you have the cinematographer, the director, who's visually taking you through the story, the editor yes. who's picking just the best cuts. And, and even uh, the lighting. I mean, the lighting is so important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The lighting, the, the, per, the person putting the, the score to it, the music that makes you add, sit on the end of your seat. Uh, sure. You know, we, we tend to see this polished product and not realize how many creative hands were in that pot, like to make that happen? It is, it is work like any other career it's work. And it's, and as you said, it's a big collaboration, which is why I like writing novels because it's just me and my characters at my desk. And that's, I don't have to deal with all these other people telling me what to do. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about the cost of having them, you know, run yeah. by the bridge. <laughs> right, right. You can have them do any action sequence and you're not worried about filming it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and what will the cost be, <laughs> you know? 
can I really scale the the Eiffel Tower? Uh, you know, uh, so I, I I know there is something to that, and and it's it's also isolationist in a certain to a certain extent, right? Being on your own writing, um, it, well, it's you and your characters, it's more isolating, is it not? It's in my nature, though, and I think a lot of writers, um, we're very happy sitting in our in our rooms by ourselves. Okay. I, 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 it's, it's, you know, when I go on book tour, it's, it's an effort for me because I am, I'm an introvert and yeah. I mean, I, I can play a good extrovert for maybe a couple of hours, but after that I'm back in my hotel room in bed, you know, eating room service and watching television. I'm perfectly happy. So um, there's a personality type that likes, likes being alone with their characters and the voices in their heads. Yeah. So we have to talk about your new novel. All right. The Spy Coast is the name of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I have to say, I, I read the novel. Uh, I read it in a day. Uh, and you're in it from the minute you begin. Right. There's no other way to put it. I I like to think my favorite, my favorite genre, I say, is literary fiction. Uh, however, I could somewhat misrepresent that, you know, like that's something I throw out there and I say, yeah, I think that's my favorite, but the, the mystery, the thriller mystery is really, uh, it's, it's way up there and it's almost like my guilty pleasure. You know, I, I, that's this thing I sink my teeth into and, and I can't put down. Um, so I, you know, I was curious as to see where we go. I'd certainly read, you know, your, your Rizzoli and I, I've style series and I, start and literally I'm on the first page I'm in it all right you you just you you put it right out there it's like and you can't you immediately want to know what in the world's happening here what was this about I knew mm -hmm. I was gonna love it I knew it was gonna be a thrill ride and it was uh it's a page turning thrill ride well uh, I, I'm glad you thought so it's funny because for me I wasn't thinking of it as a thriller as I was writing it I think it was more, it was more an exploration of what happens to people when they're, when they're, they're used up and thrown away and they still have adventures left in them. It was more, I think, an exploration of my own age um, because as oh, I've gotten, yeah, as I've gotten older, um, I think I've noticed, and I think that most of us who, especially women who hit 50 and beyond and 60 and 70, we start to feel as if nobody's paying attention to us, that we have so much wisdom and so much you know, accumulated knowledge that we have to share. Um, we know, we know where the bodies are buried and yet everybody's eye is on the goddess in the room, um, not on us. So it was a, it was that, that exploration of, you know, what is it like to know you have a lot to contribute, but people don't care. Um, and that's that's where my Maggie Bird comes in. Of course, you know, I also started off with her voice, too. I heard her voice um, in my head saying, I'm not the woman I used to be. And I thought, OK, tell me more, Maggie. And that's how it all came out. Well, I found myself hope I wasn't ready to leave. Right. I wasn't ready to leave Maine. Uh, when you ended it, and I found myself hoping to go back to Maggie and and Joe, and like the, the hoping that there would be a series, like or, you know, just that the the group, the gang, right? The gang. <laughs> yes. Like I I I hoped I could revisit the gang, like the and you know there would be some some series out of it. So I'm just going to put my little hope right out there. That well, I, I I'm I'm finishing that book. I'm finishing that book now. It's the second. Oh, it's the second. Oh, 
very good <laughs> because, because I wasn't ready to leave. I wasn't when it ended. I was like, but I want to hang out with these people more. <laughs> See, that's how series start is that the author can't get, can't let go of the characters. The characters are still hanging around. And, um, and I love these characters. I love, especially, I feel like Joe, the, the, the local cop um, who was, She's like salt of the earth. She's a mainer for many, many generations. And here she's dealing with this circle of spies in her town. She doesn't know what to do with them. And um, I love that that conflict between young and old and local and from away and somebody who, people who are really sophisticated and somebody who just has common sense. Um, and so that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Right? I mean, she's clearly a common sense. And she brings the humor to the novel. It really isn't, it wouldn't otherwise be there. To me, Joe brought the humor. Because just to the extent that she is, who are you people? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? like there's a funniness to it. And she's like, okay. Like she's always two steps behind them, uh, you know, trying to catch up. So that, that was, to me was a little bit humorous. And maybe that comes from my own age, like that I could see the, <laughs> you know, the young person not quite getting it, but being smart yeah, right. to know there's something more here. Like mm, I'm feeling a breeze. Like there's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I, I did find that she brought that to it. But these are just great, great, quirky, uh, interesting people uh, that you wanted to spend time with and how their brains worked. And the story, it's a great story. I, I mean, I didn't see the end coming. I'll say that. I mean, I certainly want, don't want to be, a, I'm not giving any spoilers away. I'll just say I didn't see the end coming. Well, that's, um, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> right the, 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 I'm almost at the very end by the time I go ah. <laughs> right by the time I figure it out it, you yeah. almost had me there yeah so, well, so um, yeah and that's that's great I think it's um I think a lot of it was the mystery of why is Maggie retired what 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 drove her away and what is her secret her secret grief um and I wanted to that's what I I tried to explore and I guess that surprise ending actually surprised me as well because I did not know at the end who is doing all this <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean by the time by the time I figured it out you're almost there at the end but I mean this is this is a really intricate well-written mystery I'll say for the mystery lover, I found it to be a bit of a thrill ride. I like mysteries that are like fast paced. Somebody's life is at stake. Things are happening. That to me is a thriller. I, I don't, I'm not into, I don't categorize thrillers to me as like gory. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that to me is not, uh, I don't enjoy that like horror or gory at all. Uh, but, but this kind of thriller where there's a fast paced mystery that you, you bet your mind better be firing on all cylinders if you want to stay alive. I mean, that's the pace to the, to the book. Um, and it, I mean, it's just a really well thought out mystery. And that's why I was struck by the fact that early on when you said, Hey, no, I sit with my characters and they tell me because it reads like something you would have planned out ahead of time. There's so many layers to what's happening. That you're thinking, you know, this had to have been, but no, like you're going and you're, you know, you're winding through, which I think yeah. is a credit, you know, to your brain, how it must work. Well, a lot of it is massive rewriting. <laughs> I mean, I, I will write to a certain point and I'll think, oh, I need to put that scene in there. So, so there is a lot of rewriting and reshuffling of, of scenes past and present. And also Joe's scenes. Sometimes I would write several of Joe's scenes at once, and then I would shuffle them into the story. Um, it's, it's an elaborate and crazy way to write a book, but I don't, I don't know how to do it any other way. 
Yeah, this is a this is a really good book. As I said, for the people who like mysteries, uh, it it is a mystery. Um, I guarantee you will not figure out what's going on until the end, which is which is hard. I I mean, I I read a lot. I'd say at every given moment, I have an audio book going and at least one book that I'm I'm reading on my nook. Um, and and that's always the case. And I probably go through at least three books a week. I mean, I'm I'm really I'm always reading. So I, I look for writers who can keep my interest uh, with a really well-told story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then those writers I'm, I'm very loyal to. As soon as something releases, I right away, I snatch it up. Um, and I consider you in that pool of people, right? I'm always like, was the story. I know it's going to be a good story. I know you're going to keep me till the end. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> and so, so I guess that's one of the reasons I did want to talk to you as well, because I said, what does this mind work like that is able to do this over and over again? You know, it's so it's it's a little bit like um, being a fantastic gymnast. Your body knows what it's doing, but you can't really tell to somebody else how it is you do these fancy moves. Um, yeah. It you, it just happens. It just happens. Um, and you know, I, as I say, I give a lot of I got give a lot of credit to my characters for helping me along and and telling me which way to go. But also, I think I start off with um, with a sense of purpose or a theme in this case old age is no barrier to the next adventure and that was that was my theme here sure and these are just for just to give a little bit of a background this truly is about a group of retired cia cia agents really i mean these are these are a group of old like spies you know that 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 they're past their uh they're past their point i guess in some minds of being useful uh but but they're not really are they no, and I should probably point out that they're based on my own little town here. Um, it's uh, <laughs> that now that's cool. <laughs> it was it was something that um, I discovered when I moved to Maine three decades ago that we have a lot of retired CIA here. Um, in fact, my little street that I used to live on had two spies on either side of me, <laughs> and my son's best friend, his parents were married spies. Um, and so it's been three decades. I thought, well, this is an interesting thing. I'm going to file that away. There's a story here. I don't know what it is. And it just, it just took time to come out. Yeah. And, and when it's really, like I said, it's, it's well done. And, and I found that I liked, uh, I liked the wisdom and the wit. I mean, there really is just something about a person who uh, isn't learning it for the first time, but it anticipates Right. And there's this group of people, they anticipate, they know their way around. You know? Yeah. And they, they look behind, they've lived in a world of mirrors. So they never take anything at face value. They're always questioning. Um, and that's something, that's the wisdom they bring that Joe maybe doesn't have yet, but right. she will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I imagine as we travel along with her, she will. But this is a great town. It's just like a really funny, quirky town that you like a lot. Um, so now, now talk to me about the, the book is, is uh, I believe, released already or it's about to be released. November 1st is the official release date. Yeah. I mean, so I'm definitely highly recommending that uh, people pick this book up. You will not be uh, you will not be sorry. Um, I have to ask you about something else, though. I, I know that initially you were writing, you know, they said you put like the med- medical kind of mystery together. Uh, and then I read that you uh, you can compose music as well. 
Yes, I can. <laughs> I, you know, at a, at a uh, it, it depends on the situation because um, I did compose a piece that went along with my book, Playing with Fire, which um, was set in 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 Venice and um, in the 1940s. During I haven't read that one. I'll pick that one up. Okay. Well, that was that was the one that was born out of a nightmare. Um, I was in Venice for my birthday and I, I dreamt overnight that I was playing my violin and there was a baby sitting next to me in the dream. And I was playing something really dark and beautiful and the baby turned into a monster. And I woke up and thought, I have no idea what that dream was about, but there, there's got to be a book in this, you know, somehow music waking up the savage beast. Not taming the savage beast, but waking up the savage beast. Um, and I walked around Venice that day and ended up in the old Jewish quarter where they have these memorials to the um, Venice Jews who died during the Holocaust. And there was one wooden plaque with names. And I remember seeing this whole group of names, all the same last name, obviously a family. And that became the story playing with fire. It's about music. Um, it's about the Holocaust. And it's about a woman violinist in modern day who goes to Rome and, and buys some sheet music in an antique store that's been handwritten. Every time she takes it home and she plays, and when she goes home, every time she plays it, her three-year-old daughter goes berserk and does something awful, becomes the little monster of my dream. Um, so she thinks the music is haunted and she has to go back to, to Italy to find out what is it about this evil piece of music. And then flashback, um, we see what happened in the 1940s, what, who composed it, how he came to compose it, and why this music has such power. And so it was, um, it started off feeling almost like a ghost story, but it ended up being um, very, very logical at the end. Um, it's got a anyway, lot of, I gotta say, it's got a lot of that Edgar Allan Poe feel to it. I gotta be yeah. honest. <laughs> in, in the middle of writing this, you know, I was I was describing this waltz called the Incendio Waltz, and I kept describing it in, in words. And um, a couple months into writing the story, I I dreamt the melody, and so I woke up that morning, and there was a melody in my head, and um, that's how I ended up composing it because it came to me in a dream. Um, this very talented violinist did record it. You can hear it on YouTube. Um, and, uh, it, it sort of like goes with the story because when you, you hear about the description of this music, you can ask, actually turn on the recording and hear what it sounds like. Yeah, that's, wow. That is interesting. I, I guess I was curious about that because certainly, I guess when I look at the, you and I said, the medical stuff seems natural to me. Like you went to medical school. It seemed natural that your characters would have that, uh, background or have that knowledge, and so that that was obviously the medical mystery or the medical, you know, that, that scene. But the music, I said, wow, like because the music has to be more of a hobby for her. Right. Just something yes. like, oh, I always enjoyed music. This is a hobby. Right. And I wondered about that. Like it, it, I interviewed another author, uh, Brandon Shlogum. Uh, he does. Yeah. That. Yeah. I yeah. talked to Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so he does these these musical. I mean, his, his two novels, at least the two that I've read. Um, have musical overturns. They're really written from the point of view of uh, of somebody who's involved with music. Uh, the musical thriller, I right, think they're saying about him now, right? That he writes the musical thriller. And I, I guess I wondered, like, the overlap for you, if you ever felt called to write, um, you know, a musical thriller, like something because of that that background. Yeah, no, that was a one-off, and it was, as I said, it was a very weird, weird story that I that the idea came to me in a nightmare, and the music came to me in a dream, and it was all somehow working in my subconscious. I'm, I mean, I'm a 
I'm not, I'm just an amateur, but I'm good enough to be able to sit down on the piano and write and compose music. <laughs> well, what a creative uh, person you are, right? I mean, to be able to, to, to write, uh, you know, to, to write novels, I think is a hard enough thing to, be able to create music and to have that passion and to have your hand in so many things that you're doing well at. Uh, boy, I applaud you. I think you're, uh, you're a great role model for women everywhere. Well, I think I think there's a fair number of novelists who also play music. I mean, uh, I'm I'm thinking about the late great Michael Palmer, who was a medical thriller author, and he used to perform on stage at Thriller Fest with his harmonica. He was great, <laughs> and his and his accordion. He was a, he was a great musician too. So um, maybe there's some there's something to do with the way the brain works and how music music and coming up with stories uh, is using part of the same brain. But art and science don't often coexist in the same brain, do they? No, they don't. And I and this is this is how I met Michael, is that we used to teach a course for medical doctors who wanted to become novelists. And that was a tough job uh, because medical doctors, I mean, through our training, we are taught to be um, to be objective, not subjective, um, you know, to to ex- over explain things, to stick to the facts to not let our emotions get hold of us. And those are all the things you need to be a writer. You need to have that, you know, these emotions pull you out of yourself. You need to be subjective as a writer. Um, so we had to break a lot of bad habits <laughs> for, for, through our stu- from our students before we could really get them to focus on, on writing. And it's, it's also humbling for somebody who's gone through medical school or law school because they're all straight A students. They've all achieved, you know, multiple... Um, academic things and here they're being told by some 25 year old editor in new york that they are rejected um there's a lot of ego that gets hurt when you when you change careers like that yeah no i would imagine that that's the case i mean uh i think it's hard enough I'm not, and this is not critical uh, uh but a lot of those type of businesses are run by the young right so and i don't mean tend to be critical but I think it's hard for a young person uh, to gauge uh, a few things. One, to gauge what is a masterpiece and what is not, right? Mm-hmm. Because there, there's a certain amount uh, of being exposed. You can get an education. You can certainly read a lot. But if I look at myself now and I consider myself fresh out of college, let's say, for example, or fresh out of even law school, I'm definitely not the discerning uh, reader I I am now, right? I definitely have been exposed, even watching a movie or watching TV, my tastes are almost completely different Yes, because yes. it's grown over time. You know, it's I, in a way you figure out like who you are and what you like. And as you get exposed to more things, you get to see what is finer or what is, you know, it's like that almost with anything, you, a, a fabric, a China, I mean, you get to know quality. And I think as you age, you know, quality becomes more obvious. So there's somewhat of a disservice uh, you know, and I'll get a bunch of emails on this now, but I mean, there is somewhat of a disservice, you know, to having the youth run those type of businesses, because I think there's such a huge audience of people who are more discerning and would like to see more discerning things, more quality. Well, that's why there's a book for every age group. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if if you are 15, you want to read a different book than somebody who's, you know, who's 65. So, I mean, that that's, that's where the, the whole sub, you know, the young adult um, fiction comes from. And, and um, whether we 
you know, quality is very subjective. Okay. It's one of these things where what thrills a 15 year old is not going to thrill a 65 year old and vice versa. So maybe they knew they do need to have young hip editors doing the young adult work and, and maybe somebody who's used to work at the New Yorker working for <laughs> with older authors. Yeah. They, but there needs to be some level, I guess, of variety. And I maybe my criticism is coming in more towards television, I think, and movies oh, yes. um, than necessarily books, um, because I do get that. I mean, there are a variety of editors and agents in terms of uh, their experience, I think, mm-hmm. handling different parts. And I think readers are lucky in that regard where you can find something to suit your tastes. Yeah. Uh, but that's not really true. Uh, and when I think of the entertainment business, I do think of like TV and movies. And that's not oh, always yeah. true there. No. It, and television, you're right. There, There is a, a lot of it is wasteland. Um, a lot of it are shows where, I mean, my husband and I will watch maybe 15 minutes and go, how did this get made? You know, yeah. who, you know, who, who gave this the green light? We don't get it. And, and who's, and who's and, watching it with them? <laughs> and as a result, we have, we have migrated more and more to British television. Um, you know, Acorn and Britbox and all those, um, sure. their mysteries are very complex and very well thought out and have characters who feel much more uh, textured than a lot of what we see on American TV. Sure. And I love the Agatha Christie. So uh, I was a big fan of her novels so that they started, you know, when they started doing that to like make her, uh, you know, make her books, I guess you could say, into yeah. uh, shows and yeah. movies and stuff. I really enjoy that myself. Um, that from when I've been young. And those are great characters. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just comparatively speaking, you know, her Miss Marple and her Perot, you know, those are older people taking you through the mystery. Yeah. And would they and would they be? popular with young people now i don't think so no i don't think on american tv i don't think so oh um right because you don't see many successful shows that uh have older characters certainly some hybrid Mm -hmm. uh, right you know some hybrid so you you know you might have uh you know the young people carrying it right and then and then they have parents or co-workers or the like the the co-stars that um bring something to it i always say i love i love the sitcom everybody loves raymond but if the parents weren't in it i don't watch it uh, I like uh, so like the the parents yeah. to me what made the show sure uh, those sure. that those characters and even though they're the older characters and i don't think audiences necessarily realize that like the mm-hmm. the, the, the the parents really made that show churn well, I think it's it's um, a function of, of how Hollywood, you know, Americans think. Americans are really focused on youth and beauty and maybe not so much on character or or uniqueness. Um, if you're beautiful, you, you have a, a big leg up. And then I go to watch something on, you know, on British television and the actors are, they're not slim, they're normal, they're solid, but they have amazingly subtle facial expressions and they can just with a twitch of the eye you know what they're thinking and i don't know whether it's because british actors are are better taught <laughs> or 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 just that they have better camera work or certainly it seems like there's a lot more really super close-ups on british televisions you can see the the little micro expressions that you can't necessarily see on american tv and they cast i think much more seasoned uh 
actors. Right, and, and people that show up on different shows, you know, the yeah. same actors kind of go through all the mystery uh, series on British television. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's probably a, a component of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about what you're working on now. So it's the and the next book in the Martini Club, which is the sequel to um, to the Spy Coast. It's uh, my bring my characters back. Joe's back. The Martini Club is back. Uh, but this time the mystery is very local. It's it's restricted to the town of Purity. And um, it's about a teenage girl who is a summer person. Uh, they You know, people come here for the summer and then they go home. A uh, teenage girl who disappears. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't know um, where she is. They have, and the prime, the prime suspect is Maggie's neighbor Luther, um, because he was the last person to see this little girl. And um, the grandfather. She, yeah, she has to find. She and her friends are going to try and and get him out of uh, you know out of hot water. Um, but it's um, again that there are threads back to this to central intelligence and to the. Um, the history of the CIA in Midcoast, Maine, um, things they did here uh, are going to come back to haunt them. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, when I finished this one, I was ready to, to, to pick up another one. So I certainly can't wait. Um, will you be continuing with Rizzoli and Eyes as well? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think that... Um, the sales have dropped significantly since the, you know, since the show stopped. And I'm not sure if people are still as interested in Jane and Mora anymore. Um, I certainly had an idea for another Jane, uh, Rizzoli and Niles book, um, but I've been, I'm having a lot of fun now with my martini club. So well, yeah. I could go I back and forth. Yeah, I will say, I will say that this is this is a, a unique world that I enjoyed stepping into, and I definitely want to hang out with these characters again. Um, so I'm glad to hear that that's getting turned into a series. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Rizzoli, I mean, I I certainly would be interested in, in keeping up with it. I like a series. I like to keep going along with with my characters and seeing their new mysteries. So I certainly, speaking as one reader, would enjoy uh, you know getting to see another one. But not to deter you from continuing <laughs> <laughs> with what you're going on. So now I'm going to put up a link to, uh, I guess your website is the best place to get information about you. Yeah. Just go to tessgarretson.com. Um, and I have, I have my, my book tours um, schedule on there. If they want to check that, that out um, and uh, read a little bit about the books. And so, you know what you're getting before you order them. <laughs> well, these are, I mean, truly, I can't say enough, some of the best mysteries I have ever read. I mean, these are just well-played mysteries. They lay out really well. It, there's there's enough twists and turns uh, and enough character development, right? It really doesn't just pound you over the head with some mystery and some clues. It's not like a, a traditional police procedural feel to, to it. I mean, it literally, these are characters with a lot of backstory, a lot of depth. And I think that's what I enjoy about my literary fiction, right? I really enjoy getting to know people and yeah. the dynamics and, you know, 10 generations of family, you know, nonsense that has happened to make people <laughs> right. who they are now, right? I, I really enjoy that. And I find that you kind of fit that little weird niche for me. 
uh, because I get enough character development and enough backstory that I feel like I know these people and there's that element, but but then there's this this really well played out mystery going on. So I like that a lot. I just want a chance oh. to compliment you on that. Thank you. I, the the mis- to me the mystery is always secondary. It's the, I I I write these and I read these for character. Yeah, and that shows. I mean, it really does. It shines through, and that's one of the things I like uh, a lot. And I and I like personally because it fits for anybody out there who likes literary fiction and then likes a good mystery too. This is where those things meet because a lot of mysteries, while they're good mysteries and they're funny, interesting characters. It's not quite the same. It's not like that literary fiction kind of uh, character, you mm-hmm. know, where you really get to know somebody and there's just a lot of nuances to what's going on in their head and how they've gotten to where they are in their journey of life and uh, and and the dynamics of the people who surround them. And you give that uh, and you combine that with the mystery. And that's a unique, a very unique thing about you. Well, I hope that after this, after they read this, they'll look at their their older neighbors with more interest. That's all. (laughs) I hope so, too. I hope so, too. (laughs) Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to talk to you. I so appreciate that you took some time to come talk to me. Uh, And I hope that when your next novel comes out, that you'll come back and talk to me again about the new one. Sure. Sure. (laughs) I'd be happy to. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Uh, I'm going to put up a link uh, to her uh, to her webpage. Uh, you can certainly buy her books anywhere uh, that you can buy books. Uh, so, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, the local bookstore, uh, you're going to be able to get her books. Uh, I'm sure her website is going to have links to where you can purchase the books. Uh, and you can go into your local library. Uh, you know, if money is tight, you know, go into the local library, you can check out our books as well. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. You will not, you will not, uh, you will not be sorry. <laughs> so thank you and have a great day.